It's not calling you Josh Frydenberg, it's calling you Dosh Frydenberg. Under the coalition, taxes for hard-working Australians will always be lower. And welcome, listeners, to The Two Jacks. It's episode 16 of our Going Around the World, starting in Australia now and going around the world thereafter. And joining me, as per usual, all the way in Hong Kong, is uh, Hong Kong Jack. G'day, mate. How are you? I'm good, thanks, mate. Uh, and things are looking a little bit more positive here. I was uh, talking to a couple of chaps who do business, a lot of business up in China, and they've noticed a bit of a sea change, that the government had been very unhelpful um, uh, to people doing business up there prior to the pandemic. And since the government's reduced all of the pandemic restrictions, they're also more amenable to doing business with people. So um, I think the, 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 the lesson from that is that the, uh, the leaders in China got the message that the uh, it's the, all the about economy the economy. Was, economy was struggling yes. and they need to get it going again. Yeah, I would think that's fairly important. Now, I think the, uh, the just very quickly, I think the GDP figure for China is in the threes, isn't it? Um, you, you, you often look at it and think it's extraordinary, sometimes double figures. But uh, it's in the threes, but I may be wrong. It might be in the fives. But whatever it might, whatever the official figure is, might not be just exactly what's going on. No, it might not be. But look, the fact that they're, they're pushing um, uh, the economy along is good news for Hong Kong, and it's good news for Australia as well. Very, very good. All right. Excellent stuff. Now, uh, just as we, as we recorded last, week, um, uh, last week's show, and we did a, a detailed uh, discussion on The Voice, uh, and we've got some reader comments about uh, that, and they've uh, appreciated being directed to uh, a very clear... Um, uh, exploration of what the voice is about from the um, uh, from the Cape York committee, um, but just as we were recording all of this, all hell broke loose in the Greens, and Lydia Thorpe has pulled the pin, and now she'll go and sit in the cross benches, amusingly next to Pauline Hanson, Jack. Yeah, the, the visuals of that were terrific, weren't they? <laughs> she, she looked like a cow eating prickles, Pauline. Uh, she wasn't happy at all. Um, what does this mean for the for the no vote? Um, doesn't it split the no vote? I've seen no commentary sort of indicating that it would. It, it seems to me, a, you know, you've got idiots to the left and idiots to the right now. Yeah, I don't think it makes much difference. I mean, really, um, the, the the people on the Lydia Thorpe end aren't going to determine the the outcome of the referendum. Yeah, it probably won't. It will create a lot of... Nor will the people on the Pauline Hanson end, for that matter. It will create a lot of noise and static, I think. Um, uh, But there's a a wider issue here, and this is certainly Thorpe is not the first person to have done this. Uh, Corey Bernardi famously, uh, hand on heart, accepted Liberal pre-selection, and then uh, I think within six months he was gone. He'd defected or gone to uh, start his own party and sit in the crossbenches. And Lydia thought was done the same. I mean, without without the Greens moniker uh, on the ballot paper, she she doesn't stand a chance. 
Uh, I think she might stand a slim chance. I mean, you know, Victoria is the Massachusetts of Australia. Um, uh, it's the home of the bedwitters. Well, my point um, is that she wouldn't have been elected in the first place. Well, but she might be now. I mean, I think there's probably just enough on uh, enough people on that end of the spectrum who, um, uh, if you like, fundamentalist um, uh, progressives, to get her up. About nine percent. In any event, that's that's the chance she's taken. About nine percent. Um, people have done it in the past. Nine um, percent quota and a half Senate election, Jack. Yeah. Yeah, uh, maybe, maybe. Uh, look, look, the point I'm trying to make is that she has uh, swanned into the Senate basically on the back on the back of green support, and uh, and now she's uh, she's left the place. Apparently, they had a retreat, uh, and uh, and uh, the, 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 the 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 with all their, their parliamentary uh, uh, MPs there, uh, and um, and everyone was for the voice except for uh, Lydia, so she pulled the pin. Well, I actually think it's it's a both a practical and a principal decision she's made. Uh, practical for this reason is that um, the, the the voice has overwhelming support amongst green voters, and she wants to go another way. So it's impractical for her to be the voice spokesman for the Greens, um, and principal because I think she really does believe this stuff. So. Um, you know, that's if she's blown up her political career, so be it. But she's having a crack. Well, you're going to have to learn how to spell black uh, again uh, without the C. Um, that's that's a start. Then, then you'll be talking the talk. Um, uh, this also brings in, and this is probably not your bellywick, but uh, she has talked about sovereignty and uh, Indigenous people are sovereign. And that is going to become very cloudy and messy because it sort of does tilt into that sort of sovereign citizen um, phenomenon that uh, this uh, the, the, the country is going through at the moment. And there are a number of Indigenous members of uh, our protesters who have been hanging around Canberra and, and bits and parts around the world, uh, around the country, uh, another group uh, in uh, in the territory, uh, who have declared their sovereign. And then they go on to declare that the laws no longer function for them. So Thorpe is going to be uh, is going to have some difficulties there distinguishing herself from this. Famously, she put up on uh, on her I think her Facebook page uh, when the um, when the when the the doors of the old Parliament House burnt. Um, uh, she thought she thought it was actually the original tent embassy that had done the burning, and of course that wasn't true. And anyone who was watching at the time would have known that. And she posted up, posted the the doors on fire, so you know, basically congratulating those responsible. And then presumably someone informed her that this was a sort of ragtag bunch of sovereign citizen Indigenous people who gathered in Canberra and set fire to it. And she took the post down. Well, I, I did read um, uh, a couple of explainers on what her position on sovereignty was, uh, and my my conclusion to the end was, I've got no idea what they're talking about. <laughs> well, it's hard to know, but I think part of it is land rights and land reform, which is a terrific idea in Zimbabwe and went off uh, went off brilliantly there. It's one of those things that continues to rankle in South Africa, um, but uh, it's got absolutely zero support. Um, yeah. Well, well not well, zero well, support, well, but it might be around 5% support in Australia and about that would be the end of it. I still think she's talking to a constituency. I think her ideas 
I think are absurd, but they're legitimate. She's got a legitimate opinion and she's talking to a constituency, so it's okay if she leaves the Greens yeah. and sits on the crossbenches. You know? I, I agree with you there. It's actually good to have that argument in the mix. Yep. Uh, and and that is her constituency, what we might call um, uh, black with a without a C, a sovereign uh, argument. Uh, and uh, and it's an uh, yes, I think it's a reasonable thing to have that in the mix. Uh, and we'll just see how it goes. I think it actually causes considerable problems for the no vote. In that, you know, they could. Uh, they're, they're going to be strange bedfellows anyway. They're going to be some very strange bedfellows on the no side. Well, that would matter if it was party politics, but it's not going to be party politics. It's really just going to be what the vast middle of Australia decide, whether they say yes or no. The people who are the activists on either end, I think, will have little effect on the um, on the on the referendum. Now, uh, a resignation of a different kind, Jack. Uh, Alan Tudge, the former Minister for Social Services, uh, held a number of portfolios in the Morrison government and the uh, and the Turnbull government. Uh, he's resigned from Parliament. You know, he, <coughs> he doesn't have to doesn't have to go home, but he can't stay there. No, um, I think we suggested that he would um, be, before the next election he might be back being a consultant to the government um, uh, through one of the big four. I suspect that's right. Well, yeah. Look, I, I mean, certainly he had blotted his copybook to the extent that he couldn't really stay. Not just I mean, stay in the palm, but he couldn't really stay on the crossbench. He couldn't stay on the opposition crossbench. I mean, his performance in the Royal Commission was an absolute shocker. And um, and uh, and I think that was the end of him uh, there and then. Do you think he got tapped, or uh, do you think he just uh, looked at the stat sheet and went, "Yeah, yeah, uh, this is this not this is not for me anymore." Well, he's a reasonably smart fella. Um, uh, you know, I, I didn't know much about his background. I had a look at it, but he was a very rare beast as a liberal who managed to get elected president of the Melbourne University Student Union. Um, uh, and, and then he worked for McKinsey and all that sort of stuff. And you don't get those jobs unless you're reasonably smart. So I suspect he sat down after... Um, Didn't we talk about McKinsey last week, Jack? And- oh, yeah, but you've got to be smart to get in there. They, they don't do a very good job, but you've got to be smart to get in the door. Um, and, um, and, and they took him to New York and sent him to Harvard. So clearly they thought the world of it. But I, I think he was probably just smart enough after the Royal Commission to sit down the next day and go, well, that's done me. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah, look. Uh, he's seen the signs. He might have got a phone call, but uh, we don't know that for, for sure. But uh, uh, I don't so, think they so, would have tapped him because I don't think they would be looking for a by-election um, at the moment. Well, that was but, my next point, yeah. So yeah. this is the seat of Aston in, in uh, Victoria's East. Takes up places like Ferntree Gully, uh, Roeville, Scoresby. No- Knox, I think. Uh, Knoxville, yes. Um, uh, and uh, did I say Knoxville? Knox, <laughs> of course. Yes. Um, uh, and um, uh, mortgage belt type seats, I would think, for the, a, a pretty varied electorate. But they're, they're, that's certainly in that um, um, Scoresby type area. That's a, that's a sort of mortgage area. And um, uh, you know, it, it, anyone who's bought a house in the last three or five years would be really struggling at the moment. Mm. Uh, it's going to be very interesting. Um, there was a big swing against uh, a touch uh, in Aston in the uh, 2022 federal election. He held on. I think he holds it by just on three and a bit percent uh, at the moment. They'll throw up a candidate. And that in itself will be interesting. Who do they uh, 
who do they nominate? And of course, you know, we, we, we're not going to know that, but it'll be interesting. Just the gender will be uh, of interest to see uh, who gets the pre-selection nod there. Well, well, Josh Frydenberg's already said um, that he's not going to shift out to Aston and have a crack at it. He's, oh, um, no, he wouldn't know how to get there. Um, <laughs> um, <laughs> unless, there's some, <laughs> unless there's some tennis courts out there, he wouldn't know about it. No. <laughs> he's heard enough and he doesn't, he doesn't want to go out there. Yeah, so it's going to be an interesting one. Um, if they pre-select a, a man and then they pre-select a replacement in the Senate, uh, and, and that's also, man, which is on the cards. Um, there could be there, there, we we could make the uh, make the comment that perhaps they haven't learned a great deal since their uh, since their uh, humbling in. Um, oh well, in let's, let's let them have a play first. Then we'll comment. Right, it'll be just interesting, Jack. Is all I'm saying. It'll just be interesting. Now, I believe uh, Jane Caro's husband. Um, I believe she believe he was a victim of a vicious attack in a retail setting. Oh, he was. He was. Uh, he was queuing at the baker's, minding his own business, um, he told Jane. And then when it was my turn, the bloke behind the counter said, and what can we do for you, young man? <laughs> um, um, and oh, and he was completely hurt by this. He's a, a chap of about my age in his late 60s. Uh, and, but he was offended. And Jane wrote a whole column. Oh, you've got to admire that. She's turned um, a minor retail industry incident into an entire column. Uh, it is just too much. God, that's a waste of kilobytes or ink, depending on how you read that column, uh, if you read it in print. Uh, um it, it I just, thought it was. I thought it was satire at first, but then she is about the, the most least self-aware person in Australia, so it might not have been. <laughs> she probably. She's certainly in the top ten, and yeah. <laughs> this idea that this was a this was basically a form of discrimination, that this was ageism, Jack. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was Jim Crow or something, you know. I mean, it was, it was terrible, you know. She, her poor husband was Rosa how, Parks, you know. How is he today? Is, is he coping? Is he up and about or is he just just lying in the fetal, just quietly sobbing, rocking from side to side? Yeah, hiding under the duvet, I think, you know. <laughs> dear, oh dear. Every time uh, I see some of my older cricket mates, uh, and I was a young bloke playing with 30-year-olds, so there's a bit of a – there's a bit of an age difference there, and uh, and when I see their birthdays pop up on Facebook, every time I say to them, "Happy birthday, young fella," and uh, yeah. they don't seem to get offended, or if they do, they don't let on. Uh, some people were born to be offended. <laughs> I think that is probably it. Now the posty, my posty's just been Jack. I saw him. They they got these little carts now, which I wouldn't mind having a run around in. Now they look like uh, look like they go all right. Uh, they get them on the road as well as uh, driving on the footpath. Um, so, so the po- posties, the little, little posties bikes no longer exist. Oh, crikey, mate. How, how long have you been out of the country? Oh, uh, well, a while. Well, yeah. You have to be as fit as a Mallee Bull to get around the bike around here. They've got to, they've got to traverse quite substantial dis- dis- uh, distances, of course, certainly in a, in a regional town, uh, and uh, there's not a lot of them. Um, and this is part of the problem that uh, it's getting to the point now where where the old snail mail is uh, just about dead, Jack. I had a conversation in 1992, just after the Barcelona Olympics, with a senior Australia Post uh, um, uh, uh, businessman, um, and maybe he'd been over there. That's how, that's how I remember the timing of it, because Australia Post were a major sponsor of the Australian team at the Olympics. 
and we're at a barbecue and he's telling me how they were having to rethink the business. This is not, this is what, September 1992. He said, we expect in a few years, no one will be getting letters. So we've got to, we've got to come up with something that, We've got to come up with something to do, you know, some way of making money. Mm. Um, and they were already planning the Australia Post Shop uh, approach, you know, where yeah, um, the you can pay your bills yep. and all that sort of stuff. Yep. Uh, um, quasi bank, in, certainly yeah, in many yeah, countries. Yeah, yeah, sort of a quasi bank sort of operation. Um, and they're back in the same situation again because that's going out of um, uh, favour because people are now doing that, that banking from home, et cetera, et cetera, on the computer. So they're, they're back where they were in about 1992, having to rethink how they operate. Well, their parcel business is going very well because that taps into that internet internet retail, internet purchasing. Yep. Um, and, but they've contracted most of that stuff out. So, so it's, you've got basically private contractors doing deliveries uh, and the posties who deliver the mail, well, I'm, I'm sure, we did, I did see him this morning, but we, we went on the, and it might have been a COVID thing, uh, but we went on the Monday no deliveries. Um, and to be honest, I mean, how often do you, do you check your mail every day? Do you check your letterbox oh, no, every about day? About once a week, to be quite honest. <laughs> it's about as close as I get. And uh, with a bit of rain that we had around, uh, we had a few snails in there, so uh, I had to pull out a few bills that were, that were partly eaten. Um, but yeah, it is really one of those things. I mean, uh, uh, Australia Post. I think uh, the, uh, the chief executive. We know all about this from uh, uh, from recent political scandals. Uh, the chief executive is on a on a nice piece of coin. Um, it is a government. Uh, it, it is a government agency, of course. It's uh, a government owned business. Government owned, yeah, wholly wholly and solely by the taxpayer, and and it's really only going to go backwards. Yeah, so, so we have DHL operating here who do a lot of the parcel deliveries. That, that's the, the German postal service, um, and they've had to reinvent themselves and they've gone into sort of worldwide parcel delivery, if you like. Uh, and Australia Post going to be facing that kind of challenge. But it's it's nothing much comes by mail apart from, apart from the power bill um, here. But then that's the same with the phone calls. If... if my mobile rings and it's just, um, it's not a WhatsApp call or whatever sort of call, just a plain telephone call. I by and large ignore it because it's almost always someone trying to sell me something. And, and often and often in sort of dodgy fashion, Jack. Yeah, uh, a little yeah. bit of scamming going on because yeah. um, there's plenty of that. Uh, yeah, look, um, uh, the, what will happen is, you know, and, and this is, a, you know, one of those issues that's profound profoundly uh, going to affect uh, regional Australia, that if that banking business goes away um, and, and, and the letter business goes away, it's going to leave country towns who have already lost the, the tin tanks, already lost the banks. Um, they're going to, you know, some, some people are having to drive 50 miles to go to a bank. Yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> and because the post office has just closed and, and, and so it's going to be very, very difficult. There, there will always be a bit of an underclass of people who don't have internet access. I mean, it's yes. just, a, just about determined by age, um, really. Uh, and then, you know, there is that affordability side of things too. And if yeah. you're in desperate desperate circumstances, you can't afford 50 a month uh, to, uh, to operate a mobile phone uh, and, have, and have internet access. Mm. Yep. All right. Well, one group uh, that we haven't talked about a whole lot, um, the Conditional Release Program, we have this rather strong policy that we 
it's absolutely important to talk about people who have suffered vaccine injuries. Uh, and and this is becoming quite prominent now. We want to be very careful with our language here. Um, but um, there is, there's been some coverage, I think, on Sky News. Chris Kenny covered this. And Chris, I know Chris personally, and Chris would be quite responsible about doing, doing this. Um, I went looking for some figures on vaccine-injured Australians, at least who have lodged a claim, and, and, and it seems to be a figure that can't be published or hasn't been published at this stage. Um, we are talking, and we, we can report that there were 14 deaths, nine linked to AstraZeneca, and another five to Pfizer. I believe that's correct, 14 uh, vaccine-related deaths. Uh, and there will be people who have suffered um, uh, fairly extreme um, uh, uh, um, uh, conditions as a result of their COVID vaccinations. Um, it seems like Pfizer carries the burden on a lot of this, but we've had Pfizer and Moderna and AstraZeneca and and other uh, vaccines in this country. Um, uh, for my, for mine, the, the issue has got to be you've got to settle this quickly and and. Bring out the checkbook. Once it's been determined, there is a process, and I and I went through the online process uh, that people in Australia have to go through when they believe they've suffered vaccine-related injury, uh, and it will often uh, include uh, a question about hospitalisation. Um, but you don't have to be hospitalised to claim. Uh, you but you will need uh, <coughs> you will need the support of your GP. Uh, and uh, and perhaps even other medical staff um, for other obvious reasons. I mean, people can't just say, hey, hey, I, uh, <laughs> I grew a leg where once my arm was and I'd like some money, please. Um, so there's, there's, there are all sorts of issues here. It, it first came up with Kieran Phelps declaring that her wife um, uh, had, uh, had suffered very serious uh, illness and I've got no reason to doubt uh, Kieran Phelps on that. She made a Senate submission. It wasn't as if she was necessarily uh, calling for any media attention. Jack, what's what's the view here? We've just got to we've got to we've got to get these people sorted out very quickly, don't we? It, the, the fact that um, a, a number of people in, in a country the size of Australia, almost all of whom have been vaccinated, have had a reaction to the vaccine is about the least surprising news you'd read anywhere. I mean, any kind of medication like this affects some people badly. You know? That's right. And, uh, and, and, and there was um, a compensation scheme set up in the very and, early days. And, and, you, and, you, and you have to find a way to compensate them, um, and it should be efficient. Um, uh, it should be relatively rigorous so that it doesn't encourage a queue around the door of chances who want That's to uh, jump on the bandwagon. Yeah. Mm. Um, uh, but it shouldn't be too onerous either. Uh, well, hospitalisation would be a, a fairly uh, fairly low um, um, bar, I would have thought, um, at least attending an, out, an, an outpatient's uh, hospital uh, if you were suffering these sorts of things. We do know, of course, when we talked about AstraZeneca before, nine deaths, and a number of people suffering uh, suffering from symptoms. It, 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 the AstraZeneca issue uh, was dealt with by medical science. It basically, once people began to um, uh, come into hospitals bearing the sort of symptoms of um, uh, a sort of thrombosis-type event, 
um, then uh, then they were put on blood thinners and so forth. Some went into intensive care, but they came out. You know I mean, so we had this period there, I think, in 2021, probably around May, June, July of 2021, uh, where we did have the nine deaths and then there was the medical response and there were no further deaths beyond that. Um, so those people, um, that's very clear, those nine deaths, very unfortunate, very, very unfortunate. We can't really sort of call these people sort of collateral deaths um, so the rest of us can be vaccinated. Their families, their estates should be properly compensated. Yeah, I, I, I agree. Um, but if you do a, a, a countrywide vaccination system like this uh, in a relatively untried, um, with a relatively untried product, you're going to have some unintended consequences. And that's just the price you pay um, for mm. um, uh, for uh, the the whole country getting vaccinated, and, and we shouldn't. And by, by you know, because you know the anti-vax communities, those the, you know the, the influences there are going to basically manipulate information. They're going to create disinformation, and that's why you need to be really honest and frank about these vaccine vaccine injuries, uh, and and be public about them. So. You know, Absolutely. So, so we get the statistics out there. So we get the facts out there. So, I, I, I took the time to have a look at the United States, Jack, and and this is at the end of twenty twenty two. So there yep. may be additional figures, but there's a process there too. Uh, what the Americans call the Countermeasures Injury Compensation Program, and uh, that's that has seven and a half thousand claimants. Um, and uh, of 265 million vaccinated people, which is 0.0028%. Um, but in a big population, as you say, these cases can't be, can't be dismissed, can't be ignored. The problem is, and I suspect the Australian system is a little bit um, the same, is that the Countermeasures Injury Compensation Program, their office is like a phone booth in Washington, D.C., mm. and they simply are un- unresourced. Uh, and uh, understaffed to process these things quickly. Which, yeah. you know, again, the, the, the very worst thing you can do for for, for, for all of us is, is to say this doesn't doesn't happen, never happens, or it happens in a minuscule number of cases. Um, because if you do that, yeah. um, that's throwing petrol on the anti-vax movement fire. Yeah. Generally yeah. speaking, not just about these Couldn't vaccines, but about all of the kids' vaccines, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So you don't want to do that. And, and, and of course, there's a large amount of data coming out. You know, I mean, it's almost an object of faith. It's almost a sort of canon now that um, that um, uh, the Pfizer vaccine, as I say, Pfizer seems to be wearing all of the all of the beltings from the anti-vax groups and freedom groups and all this sort of stuff. But, you know, there was that so-called admission, the so-called confession from the Pfizer executive in, in uh, the European Parliament uh, when asked whether um, a, a transmissibility or whether the vaccine would, would basically um, uh, prevent transmission. And that executive answered honestly, no, because... Uh, as and the person wasn't allowed to go on and explain any sort of any sort of vaccine that was brought to the marketplace within a year or two with the clinical trials that were accelerated can't measure transmiss- transmissibility with the vaccine. They can't measure it over a period of time. So it, 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 in the contracts that were made with various governments around the world, um, uh, it, the issue of reducing transmission. Um, uh, was was never uh, a requirement of the vaccine. 
So that's the answer. Uh, Unfortunately, the politicians didn't read that clearly enough and plenty of them went on the record saying this will will stop transmission. Now, that's that's just wrong and and we ought to just call that out um, and say they got it wrong. Well... (laughs) It, it, it's 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 wrong with a but. It, it's because you know understanding how the, the vaccine works means that you are going to be and you've had COVID. I've had COVID. I think most of us have around the world, and if we haven't, we will. Um, but the COVID uh, that I was the, the COVID I got, and that was after three shots. I've only had the three. Um, <coughs> um, uh, I was over it in a day. In fact, I, I was testing negative while I had it. Um, and, and the, the point I'm trying to make beyond the personal is that is it would seem that if you are vaccinated, you have uh, <clears throat> almost certainly, and with data to follow, almost certainly are you less infectious for a shorter period of time, if you know what I mean. Yeah, so, I, I still don't think we should run away from the fact that a lot of people in public health offices and politicians um, over-egg the pudding of the vaccines. Um, by saying, you know, that this is the way to make sure you don't get the, you know, the, 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 this is the way to protect your grandmother. She won't get um, uh, COVID if you get vaccinated. And they overdid that. Yeah, Joe, Joe we, should, did that. We, should, we should just be open and honest about it and just say, we got it, they got it wrong. Well, I don't think, I, I, yeah, I think it's wrong with a but. That's that's the only point. I mean, I, I mean mm. I'm not going to labour this, but, <clears throat> but, they, but we basically really wanted to get, get, a, get, get, get everyone vaccinated and and uh, and you know we were babbling about herd immunities which still are not a thing by the way in, in terms of COVID around the world there is no herd immunity, immunity for COVID uh, <coughs> um, you know despite our very very high rates of vaccination in Australia and, and despite those in Israel and so forth we are <coughs> what we are talking about is and this is basically peer-reviewed peer-reviewed mathematical uh, modeling that says the vaccine the vaccine in 2021 alone prevented 20 million deaths and we always have to we you know you, you can't say one without the other that's what i'm saying you can't mm-hmm. say oh look we got it wrong but really well, no, i think they can say that they got one aspect of it wrong i think they, they can say look at the time i thought what i thought what i was saying i thought was right but it wasn't um <coughs> Yeah, look, it, it, it would be it would be better to be, I guess, upfront about it because really this thing has become almost canon now that the the vaccine wasn't um, wasn't uh, uh, preventing transmission. Now, a, a lot of data will emerge that I would suggest would probably say that it does to a large extent, um, <coughs> but. Um, um, uh, in the meantime, the, the debate has been swung around by people who say now not only was it didn't that it didn't suit, that it didn't stop transmission, but that it that it's caused great numbers of injuries. And I just get back to this in terms of claimants who've got to go through a process uh, in the United States that involves um, uh, medical uh, medical opinion. Um, and we've got seven and a half thousand at the end of twenty twenty two. You know, it's a large number of people, but that's out of 265 million. So that's uh, 0.0028 um, uh, who have claimed for vaccine injury in the United States. Mm. All right, moving on. Uh, 
And we got the Jack Elliott's. We want to tell our listeners we might just have to repeat every net once in a while so we know so, so we know our listeners are on the same page. When you get an attack of the Jack Elliott's, you narrowly escape some terrible consequences, usually in the courts. And rather than rather than pick yourself up and dust yourself off and move on with your life, you decide, no, nah, I'm going to sue everybody uh, that I can think of. Anyone who's wronged me, uh, I'm just going to go and have a go. And you end up, well, I think you end up in Jack's case uh, in a laundromat in Carlton on a Wednesday night watching your socks and undies go around. Yeah, yeah. Last time I saw him, actually. <laughs> <laughs> so when we talk about the Jack Elliott's, the, the, the pub that was then Percy Jones. Oh yes, uh, yeah. Uh, oh, good God, God love old Percy. Um, um, uh, a resident, uh, resident at uh, the uh, town hall, isn't it? Um, uh, the North Fitzroy Arms. North Fitzroy Arms, of course. Yes, yeah. so that's all, I, I sat next to him for lunch uh, a couple of years ago. Um, um, uh, yeah, so when we talk about an attack of Jack Elliott, it is an attack of hubris, an attack of, mm. you know, sensible people would say, gee, I was lucky I got away with that, and I'd rather yeah. just dust myself off and get move on. But instead, when you do get an attack, attack of the Jack Elliott, it's, you, you're, just, you're just basically issuing writs to whoever you feel has wronged you. Now, so when we talk about a Jack Elliott, Jack, um, is, it, is, it, uh, is the Sally Rugg case... Uh, against her employer, uh, the uh, TL member for uh, Kuyong, Monique Ryan. Sally Rugg was the chief of staff, and uh, and she is making a claim saying that uh, it's all a bit too hard, a bit, bit long, a uh, bit long, you know, a lot of hours. Who would have thought it? A lot of hours in, in being uh, a chief of staff to an MP. Yeah, uh, look, I think um, there's a mediation this Friday, and, and I suspect it'll probably be resolved. I think I think everyone will forget the Jack Elliotts and just go, let's come to a number um, and we'll write a check and we all go away. Um, uh, the or, interesting aspect or, of this or is... Or someone might get an attack of the Jack Elliotts yeah, and, and keep and going and with people court, go on. Um, Josh Bornstein, uh, the, the lawyer from Morris Blackburn, who's acting for Sally Rugg, raised a sort of a wider issue. It's about whether um, Australian employees have a right to refuse to work unreasonable additional hours beyond an eight-hour working day. Um, and I suspect Josh is uh, mustard keen to get that into court and argue it. Um, uh, well, it's an interesting point. It's an intriguing point uh, because most Australians who are working under contract or employment contracts and so forth are, are, are not casual paid by the hour. They're, they are working longer than eight hours a week, uh, eight yes. hours a day, I should say. Yeah. Uh, and, and some are working, you know, 60s and 65s, and that is indeed uh, part of Sally Rugg's submission that she was working those sorts of hideous hours. Monique Ryan is a doctor. Well, she would have worked 60, 70 hours pretty much all her adult life. Well, I uh, talk to young lawyers who work for a big commercial firm uh, and, you know, when they're having a drink and they'll all regale you with how many hours they're working trying to pull their billable hours up, you know. Um, uh, so... Uh, Josh is right. This is a sort of a yep. widespread thing, and um, uh, and I can see that he's the entrepreneurial kind of lawyer. Josh, he would be um, uh, a very good fella, 
uh, uh, he would be keen to get one of these cases in court because he could see a queue forming outside his door. <laughs> I can I can understand that, but it is a really interesting point. And I made the point in our podcast last week that work is such an important part of all of our lives that we rarely discuss it. We rarely discuss, you know, you come home and say, how was work? Oh, you know, terrible, you know, usual, you know, here I am late, you know, dragging, the, dragging, uh, dragging myself in through the house. Um, but we never really talk about the minutia of it and, and the fact that we're often having to work long hours under extraordinary circumstances. I can tell you, journalists at, at, uh, at, at News Corp work very, very long hours and it, and it gets longer because the technology actually hasn't saved a lot of time. It's basically... Um, cut a lot of jobs and a lot of that's been necessary because the mainstream media is struggling with uh, advertising revenue and, and all sorts of cost constraints. So it means that journalists now, just just for example, I won't use News Corp as an example, but just as an ABC, so it, I, I'm good friends with an ABC foreign correspondent. So he, he will file his written report, he will file his video report, and then he will file an, an additional report for audio. So they can go to radio, television, and of course onto the internet site. And this is it's, a curi- it's a curious thing that technology hasn't shortened the working day; technology has lengthened. Has actually day. extended it. Uh, yeah. But look, to be fair, some of us might be sitting there looking at our phones for a little while. Um, but um, but yeah, it, it, it hasn't made life simpler. It hasn't. So, so it certainly hasn't made working hours shorter. So yeah, bring on, no, bring on AI, Jack. Bring on the robots, uh, yeah. and uh, and then we'll have to worry about how we make a quid. That's yeah. the anyway. Issue. Good luck to Josh, um, an excellent lawyer. Um, if you're looking for an employment lawyer in Melbourne, he'd be the one I'd recommend. Excellent work, and uh, and he's got a big case in his hands there. Unless there, unless well, particularly particularly if someone does get a bad case of the Jack Elliots, um, <clears throat> um, mortgage rates, Jack. Uh, more pain for uh, homeowners, particularly those who have uh, taken out their mortgages in the last, let's say, five years, uh, getting an absolute belting. You've uh, you've got a piece there from Wally Daly. Uh, yeah, I don't often agree with Wally, but he's spot on about this. He wrote, well, this way, he raises a really interesting point that that the, the underlying problem is is that we in Australia we treat houses and investments. Um, rather than just somewhere to live. So house prices are just too high. And I think he's probably right about that. Oh, it, it's driven. It's a supply-demand issue, Jack. And there is a shortage of supply and housing throughout Australia, and particularly in Sydney. And while they're opening up land and so forth, just not keeping up, keeping in, in touch with, with no, the population. So, so when we talk about the Reserve Bank and their monetary policy, it is absolutely a brutal instrument to try and bring inflation down. And we know we're old enough to remember what happened in the uh, the, the, the latter part of the Hawke-Keating years that the Reserve Bank just kept belting away till we got to sort of 17, 18% official, I think it was 17% or even half percent official cash rate. Mm. And they absolutely smashed the economy, you know, dragged it into recession. So it is an absolutely blunt instrument to, to, to withhold spending. And the basis of it is, of course, we want to drive if your investment, your house, we want to drive the price of that down. So, mm-hmm. so that's that's the sort of net effect of it all. Um, while you've still got these supply and demand constraints on the housing on the housing uh, industry in Australia. Uh, yeah, 
uh, there's no doubt now that that the Reserve Bank went too late uh, in jacking up interest rates during the pandemic. There's no doubt about that now. And so the soft landing, well, is it going to come or are we going to cop an absolute hard one with a recession to boot? It wasn't just that they went too late, um, but the the chief of the Reserve Bank said that there's going to be no interest rate rises until 2024. Now, I actually think that's a fall on your sword, um, a mistake, that one. Yeah, yeah, it, it should be. It should be. But the Reserve Bank, the way it's been set up, and it's been set up right, it needs to be independent. <laughs> you can't have a beholden to government who will tinker away no, to you can't. serve their own interests. Um, um, but um, uh, there is, well, I mean... He would be a cabinet appointment, I presume, um, yeah. and uh, he could be his his employment. Uh, the Reserve Bank governor's employment there could be removed by uh, that's Philip Lowe, by the way, could be removed uh, by by cabinet. I suppose. Yeah, well, I prefer that not to happen. But I think um, everyone I think he should have a good look in the mirror and um, and decide for himself. Just to our listeners, a uh, very fine piece on this from Tom Dusevich, uh, one of one of my colleagues at The Australian. It is a paywall piece, uh, one of those things that uh, pretty much everyone should read about this very, very blunt instrument um, uh, using uh, using monetary policy, jack up interest rates. Like I say, if you if you if you bought a house in the last five years. You're in, if you, and you don't have sufficient savings or some sufficient sort of um, uh, percentage of disposable income to pay for what are substantial in, uh, uh, hikes in uh, mortgages, uh, mortgage payments, monthly payments, then uh, you're in a lot of trouble. Mm. Um, and uh, and the banks will start insuring against your loss, and uh, and they'll pass all those costs on too. So it's kind of a vicious cycle. You know, if we get a soft landing. I guess Philip Lowe will look like a genius, um, but it's not looking like that at the moment because inflation is staying stubbornly high. Um, yeah. Look, even if the end result's okay, I think he should resign just because um, he misled so many people. Well, he clearly got it wrong. And the time to jack up interest rates was during the pandemic. Now, that would have seemed like a pretty blunt move too, um, but it was necessary at that time. I mean, we had interest rates were almost negative at the time. Official cash rate was zero point two five. Uh, in the latter part of the pandemic, I'm sure that's correct. Um, anyway, yeah, uh, have a read of Tom Dusevich's piece from Saturday uh, entitled uh, "Monetary Policy Blunt and Brutal as RBA Plays Catch Up," which I think is as good a summary as you'll get on the RBA going too slowly and now having to catch up and cause all sorts of pain in doing so. All righty. Um, over to the United States, Jack, the State of the Union. It's become like uh, a melodrama now, a bit of uh, you can throw things at the uh, the president, you can have a yell, have a scream. Yeah, I was talking to a few American friends about this and, and they said, oh, wasn't that upsetting? I said, well, I don't know. I'm kind of used to question time in Australia. <laughs> it seemed perfectly okay to me. Um, but that's not their tradition, so I accept no, it. No, it, 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 look, you... If you don't agree with it, you sit quietly and maybe have a mutter. But you're not the, the up until very recently, it was standing ovations every every thirty seconds. Uh, and and to those who didn't agree, there was a sort of uh, quiet acceptance or respectful acceptance that the speech would go on. 
uh, MTG, the, the wonderful Marjorie Taylor Greene, uh, the Senator of Georgia. Um, uh, she uh, she was big on the heckle jack. She was wearing a fur too. She was I think she'd slaughtered a seal, a baby seal, or or maybe two or three on the way to the uh, on the way to the uh, Congress to listen to it. Yeah, she was all dressed in white, which was a sort of a fashion that the that the um, Democrats started a couple of years ago, where they all turned up in white for the same. It's a protest thing. I, I have no idea what it means, but yeah. oh dear, oh dear. Well, she wore a fur, which I thought was. Uh, symptomatic of something, um, but yes, there's uh, <clears throat> uh, there some some quite odd sort of comments. Well, no, some some quite amusing comments coming from the states about all of this. That the um, the uh, uh, the the days of respectful silence are well and truly over in the State of the Union address. Yeah, it would seem to be. Yeah. All right. Um, I mean, there's, there's been some – it's been becoming a little bit more odd over the years. We had the Nancy Pelosi ostentatiously tearing up the copy of her copy of the speech thing um, a couple of years ago. There's been some more more and more bizarre things happening. and But it is – yeah, I think the, the, the days of respectful silence might be gone. Well, here's a, here's a funny thing, Jack, because even Donald Trump – was quietly impressed with Joe Biden's performance, Jack. And Joe did. He he took the hecklers on in, in great melodramatic style, throwing peanuts and what have you at him. Uh, he, uh, he, he, he gave as good back as he got. And even Donald Trump was impressed by it and said yeah. on his true social, plat- social platform, look, he, that's Joe Biden, worked hard tonight. It's not a natural thing for him. It never was but you've got to give him credit for trying. I disagree with him on most of his policies, but he put into words what he felt and he ended the evening far stronger than he began. Give him credit for that. What's going on there, Jack? Has Donald had another one of his trademark 180-degree turns? Uh, well, Donald might, might be invested in Biden being the Democrat candidate so he can win the Republican nomination. Well, I think that's what both of them are thinking. That's what yeah, I. That's yeah, what yeah. I think. You know, the, the it's Biden, their only hope of, of of being the candidate is if the other bloke's standing. If Trump, if Trump, if Trump runs, Biden, Biden will run, and if he doesn't, then it might be left to others. That's. I mean, he he didn't mention in the State of the Union that he would be uh, the candidate in twenty twenty four. That's Joe Biden, the Democratic candidate, and he would win the primary in a late air, basically. But he hasn't announced that yet. But he's certainly given showing no signs that he's going to pack it in. That's what I think. He thinks he's a pretty good matchup for uh, for Donald Trump, and but obviously Trump thinks he's a pretty good matchup for uh, for Biden. Yeah, they are their they each other's only best chance. Well, let's have a look at the polls. Four in ten Americans say they've gotten worse off financially since Joe Biden became president. I'm a bit sceptical about this sort of stuff, to be honest. Uh, this is the ABC News Washington Post poll. Um, and it goes back 40 or nearly 40 years. Uh, and there is disaffection with, uh, with Trump and, and, uh, and Biden and uh, the likelihood of a rerun of the 2020 presidential election is, is not really getting people to jump out of their seats and get, get excited and get involved. Uh, if those were the choices, Trump and Biden, uh, uh, the poll suggests it would be close among all adults. 
48% support Donald Trump and 44% are for Joe Biden. <laughs> Gee whiz, Joe's, Joe's yeah. poll, Within the margin poll of must be the, terrible. The important, the important figure in that poll is that 60% of Democrats and uh, don't want Biden as the candidate and 50% of Republicans don't want Trump as the candidate. Yeah, it looks like it'll probably go another way. I, I, I'm not so sure about Biden. I still have this... Uh, America's grandpa idea, and they'll sort of go, well, you know, he's not too offensive. Um, there are some very good, and we've mentioned this before, we, there are some very good economic figures uh, coming coming in um, uh, in, in the States. Pretty good, good jobs figures uh, and good growth figures, the sort of growth that this country would... Uh, would pay would, would 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 kill for and perhaps not kill but would love um, uh, and uh, yeah so the American economy is going reasonably well and if we remember you know the the, the, the foundation rule of electoral politics Jack it's it's always about the economy yeah that's true uh, it just that doesn't seem to be convincing um, enough Americans that, that whatever however good their figures are they, that the Americans don't seem to be convinced themselves that they're good anyway well, well, well I, I look at this sort of polling you know are you better now or worse off and you know the answers can you I mean you know that there's going to be statistical preponderance that'll say oh god no you know you just know that's that's the way people are going to say to a pollster how they would behave in the ballot box is completely different. So that's why I think mm. a lot of this polling's junk. Yeah, 40% is still a very high figure. All right. Uh, woke. Woke, Jack. Now, look, I am of the view that the term woke should never be used uh, unironically. And I know that's a double negative, uh, <clears throat> but it's, it's a term that's uh, sort of fallen into the language and it was always designed as a bit of a joke, but it isn't now. But... We have uh, a New York Times a thought piece about uh, woke language and is it damaging the Democrats? Is it damaging the left? And there is this is quite- Nick Christoph. Yes. Um, yeah. what, uh, he, what his thesis is that the increasing use of of we call them progressive terms or woke terms or however you describe them um, actually plays into Republicans' hands. I think he's got a point. Um, uh, he says that it creates an in-group of educated elites fluent in terms like BIPOC. Do you know what BIPOC is? Yes. Yeah, and, and, and AAPI? Uh, that's another form of, um, 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 shall we say, style manual for, for uh, inclusive language. It, it's, 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 a, it's Asian and uh, Pacific Islanders, basically. Um, uh, and, for our and, he says, and he says that there's a few people who understand that, but the larger group, the 62% of Americans who don't have a college degree, don't understand what they're talking about and don't like it, which is why Republicans are jumping on it. Um, and his piece de resistance, I suppose, was the Cleveland Clinic, who, which explains anatomy like this. <laughs> who has a vagina? People who are AFABs. That is AFAB. These are people who are assigned female at birth. Yeah. And when you start talking like that, there's a few people who might follow what you're talking about, but the vast majority of the population will go, these people are nuts. Uh, yeah. What, what, it, what it does, I mean, I think a lot of op-ed writers are obsessed about woke and wokeism. But really what this does is alienates people. 
Yes. And that's why, you know, and, and, and I don't even think it's along political lines. Um, it may, you know, provide some advantage to the right or the Republicans in, in turn. But a lot of people are just completely confounded by this. Just uh, just to, so uh, BIPOC is, is it black, Indian and people of colour? Is that? Yeah. Is that yeah. what it is? And, yeah. and, and, and yes, like, uh, I'm sort of vaguely aware of this stuff. I mean, when I write, I, I write according to the style manual at the Australian, uh, the News Corp style manual, um, and that's that's another sort of imposed, if you like, form of language. But it's not it's not crazy like this sort of stuff. So, it, what this does is basically alienate large chunks of people, and and and, and all around all around a convoluted and, and, and complicated, unnecessarily complicated. Um, uh, form of expression. Yeah, try, try describing your mum as an AFAB and see how she go. See how you go. <laughs> she's not gonna. She's, she's not gonna really. Uh, my mum's probably not gonna pick up on that too much. But yeah, look, it, 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 it is ridiculous. Well, I was thinking more of our listeners. Go home and chat, chat to your mum and tell her she's an AFAB. An AFAB. A female at birth. Um, and look, I'd rather you didn't ask her about a vagina. Don't ask her. Don't ask your mum about a vagina. It's just going to be awkward for everyone. Um, so anyway, Jack, talking about my, my politics, is your mate uh, and friend of the program, Kamala Harris, is she, is she a chance, 2024? Well, uh, 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 again, from the, from the sort of liberal press over there, they've been talking to uh, people uh, in Washington and it seems not. Um, uh, <laughs> even if you even if you ask the people You're who are, me there. who were her supporters, they say that she had not risen to the challenge of proving herself as a future leader of the party, much less the country. Um, Haven't you ever I seen? Don't, I don't think she's much chance at all. Have you ever seen Julia Lewis Dreyfus as the sort of, <laughs> sort of somewhat airheaded, although a little bit mercenary as well, vice president who actually goes on to become president? I think there might be a lesson there. Um, look, she's a California Democrat, Jack. And so yeah, that, we, 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 we were talking about alienation, that alienates everybody uh, besides those who live on the coast. Yeah, and, and you're meant to be an airhead if you're from California, and she is. Oh, that's very rude about that. California, some of the loveliest people on earth, of course. Um, um, but, uh, yeah, it's... Um, it's something that uh, I, I could not foresee. Um, if you wanted a tip from me for a Democrat, it would be um, uh, someone from um, from the Midwest, someone like Amy Klobuchar, um, a person of pretty pretty good substance as well, um, as a potential candidate uh, if Joe if Joe does pull the pin. Um, and well, we've also got. Who else have we got on the Democrat side? We've got Pete Buttigieg, who's the uh, Transportation Secretary. He's not travelling all that well, is he, Jack? No, he's not, um, which is a, a, a weird thing to say about a Transportation Secretary, but no, he's not travelling well. <laughs> he's not travelling all that well. Uh, Bernie Sanders, of course, is, uh, uh, well, well into his 70s now, be, uh, uh, he might have been his 80s. He'll be 83 on Inauguration Day 2025, Jack. Yeah. So we can sort of count our Bernie. Amy Klobuchar, as I said, uh, seems to lack charisma, according to uh, the report I'm looking at at the moment. 
there is that sort of argument about it. I mean, but, you know, I, I'm, I'm one who likes substance rather than charisma, but, um, um, but those things do matter, particularly when you're in a primary. Um, yeah. California governor, again, same thing. Californian, you know, the, 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 the Republicans, you just pick them apart, um, uh, you know, for all the sort of failures, the sort of social failures, the, the criminal justice failures in California and, and, uh, and particularly in Northern California. Um, what about He's Michelle? got fabulous hair. He's got fabulous hair, though, Gavin Newsom. <laughs> Look, he does have great hair and people should be elected on, uh, on that basis. Um, I think um, just uh, just have a great hair parade, which would have counted Donald Trump out. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> 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 he would have been the novelty well <laughs> uh, If we're going to go down the great hair route, what about Michelle Obama? Surely not. She is being she's been sort of um, mentioned in dispatches, but um, she she actually hated being in the White House. I don't think there's any real chance of returning. No, no, I, I, I think that was just um, uh, someone was floating that in, in more in hope than anything else. Well, meanwhile, on the other side, Jack, what have we got? We've got uh, we've got DeSantis, of course. Uh, there is no love for the Donald. No love. That's a shame because he was very, very, he was very, very gracious about Joe Biden. Uh, Joe Biden. Yeah, well, uh, uh, this is from Governor Chris Christie from New Jersey, former oh, no, governor. F- no friend of the Donald, it must be said. Well, well, he, he they did were initially, him. and then they had a major falling out. I'm the target of Donald. This is Chris Christie. I'm the target of Donald Trump's new tantrum. None of his lies about me today bothered him when he asked me to prep him for every general election debate or offered me three different cabinet posts. (laughs) He's the only man to lose to Biden outside Delaware. That loss to Joe still sings. Things. Oh yeah, that's 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 unpleasant. And Sarah Huckabee Sanders, who did the the governor from Arkansas, the former and who worked for the Donald in the Mm. White House and who did the response to the State of the Union, um, she said it's time for a new generation of Republican leadership. Including herself, presumably, Jack. I, I, would think, I would think that she would have herself in mind. <laughs> and, 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 and to be and fair... And Ron DeSantis from Florida, I'd just say this. I spend my delight, time delivering results for the people of Florida and fighting against Joe, Joe Biden. I don't spend my time trying to smear other Republicans. So um, I would say everyone's lining up to have a crack at Donald. Right. That's that's just a backhander, though, that one. It, it doesn't mention Trump, but that's just a backhander. I'm dismissing yep. you, uh, but it's as, it's as big a slap as you get. Sarah Huckabee Sanders must be said, you know, if it wasn't for Donald Trump, <coughs> you know, she'd, she'd probably be working in Walmart. Um Oh no! Well, 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 well they're they're all, Mike Huckabee. She would have. She would have got a nice job somewhere. <laughs> well, there you go. So we're not. It's not. It's not what you know, is it, Jack? So yeah. look, we, this is what we got. We got we, the outside of the Donald, outside of Joe, Grandpa Joe, uh, on the Republican side. In this order, I suppose, DeSantis, Pence, uh, Haley, uh, the former UN ambassador. Pompeo and Sununu, um, uh, absolute rough outsider, and, and uh, the Democrats, Kamala, uh, Abrams, Klobuchar, who we didn't mention, and, and Buttigieg, um, which I I don't I don't want to see a Buttigieg uh, candidacy check because it's very hard to spell his name. Yeah, to be really on the ball, it's a it's a it's a mad thing that breaks every grammar rule. Uh, his surname spelling of it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so you, you want Trump? Fantastic. Biden, easy. 
Um, so there you go. Uh, 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 <clears throat> now, I just want to have a quick look at media, and, and it seems to be startling the young, Jack. Um, uh, with one lecturer at university, I asked my USC students today if they read the New York Times. No hands went up. That's no surprise. Then I asked if they read any newspaper, and one hand that went up when they said sometimes they read uh, the Washington Post. Uh, asked my Gen Ed students once how they learned basic news about the outside world, and the top answers were more or less in order, YouTube, TikTok, Snapchat, Instagram. For the last several years, I've taken to asking students where they get their news and what their sources of commentary on news are. It's fascinating how fragmented the landscape is, this fellow says. Many people here will downplay the significance of this. I think it matters a lot. Readers of physical newspapers in particular are introduced daily to subjects they're not familiar with, with many of which uh, are important to their duties as citizens. It wasn't mere coincidence. All right, Jack. So, what do we do? What do we do about that? There's nothing really, is it? You know, you try and tell people yeah, well, not you, to use you TikTok and, I and read the New York Times. Junkies. We, we we read lots of stuff from various sources, um, and it's kind of a, I struggle to get my head around the idea that you could get your news from Instagram, uh, TikTok, and Facebook and Instagram. Really, you're not going to get much, and, and you're going to get it. You're not going to get analysis. You, you're not. You're not going to get a lot of information. You're going to get at best a sort of thirty-second coverage of of a of, of what are very complicated issues. Um, you know, there's definite benefits to things like Instagram and and, and uh, Twitter and, and so forth in terms of providing uh, information really at at its source. So we can see, for example, um, you know, combat in the, in the in Ukraine um, that that. Uh, traditional news services will take several hours to deliver um, and they're moving at sort of light speed these days too. Um, but, you know, one of those sort of fascinations with me, Jack, is that there are no, a number of people now on the right in the United States and in Europe, it must be said, and probably in Australia too, who are saying that um, uh, that they shouldn't, that, 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 that we shouldn't be funding war uh, in the Ukraine. We shouldn't be funding the Ukrainian uh, war effort, and um, and I'm just not sure where all that stuff comes from because this is not an exclusively right thing. This this is sort oh yeah, of, look, um, you'll, you'll find it's on the left too. So the yeah. very hard left. I'm not saying yeah. that this is a hard right idea either. This is this is something that uh, Matt Gates, the uh, Republican uh, congressman, uh, is trying to introduce into the House at the moment. And what strikes me as odd there, Jack, and something we. we covered in the conditional release program. Uh, what strikes me as odd there is that 10, even five years ago, the right was moaning about the death of Western civilization in Europe and, um, and the rise of Islam and Islamification and all this sort of stuff. But then the Russians move in on a, invade a European country uh, and that's all okay. Bomb their cities. That's all okay. It's a strange shift, isn't it? Mm. Um, yeah, well, I think there's a range of views about that. I think there's a, there's a more sensible view of that. Um, which I'm not sure I agree with it, but, it, but which is saying that, well, we're going to have to deal with a Russia at the end of this and, um, you know, you want to you want to do you want to do it now, or you want to do it when they're in Poland, or you want to do it now, or you want to do it when they're in Germany. 
I mean, that, that, that seems to me to be the other thing. Or do, we want to do, or do we want to do it after, you know, hundreds of billions of dollars more and they're still in the same position? Well, surely the ethical issue is you've invaded a country, you've bombed its cities, you've got to pay a price for that. You're going to have to pay well, a price they, Well, they invaded Crimea in 2014 and no one did anything about it nothing, for eight years. Nothing, nothing, nothing at all. Oh, if you, yeah. Well... You can't say nothing. Sanctions. There was no military response, um, and and the Ukraine was sort of a far from united place when that took took place. So politically, they were all over the shop at the time. But there's sort of nonsense misinformation that Ukraine's not a country. It's never never been a country. It's never been a nation state. Uh, all this sort of stuff coming from the right, which I find really disturbing, and it is, runs counter this narrative that was running ten years ago that was saying, "Oh my God, Europe is almost lost. We must protect it. We must well, that's, protect that's, the, gener- that's the genesis same of Western views, civilization." Exact same views coming from the left as well. Yeah, look, I fully accept that's the, we would call that the hard left. Um, shall we call it the um, uh, well, Jeremy, the Jeremy, Jeremy Corbyn, Corbyn left? Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, yeah it is, but. And, of course, when we talk about the right, I'm not talking about um, 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 uh, the extreme right. And and further that point, Boris Johnson put plenty wrong last year, but he never never put a foot wrong on Ukraine, and he is of the right. But we're seeing more and more this, well, I'd, I'd sort of say the sort of out there, but not quite at the extreme right, who sort of say, oh, Europe, man, well, that's, that, that's something, that's disposable. And I find that really strange. Uh, meanwhile, Jack in Iran, um, uh, the Supreme Leader, the Ayatollah and rock and roller, uh, Khamenei, has uh, pardoned large numbers of the security uh, forces there for uh, for various disgraces against uh, against state prisoners. Yeah, um, it just be, it is beginning to look like. Um, Things are getting out of their out of control there, but they are now scrambling around trying to find a way to placate the population to stay in power. Well, hanging people is probably not the right way to go, Jack. They've been doing that a fair bit this year already. But they're also releasing. They've also released um, thousands of uh, of the demonstrators who were held in prison as well. So they're scrambling around to try and find a way out of this. I think. But also part of that process is that uh, basically excusing torturers. Off you, off you go. Thanks for your work. We won't charge you for the electricity. Hmm. Very, very strange things going on there, Jack. Uh, we've talked about this, the protest movement there. It could be regime changing, and we certainly hope that's the case. We've been talking about Ukraine a little bit already, Jack. There is this constant to and fro at the moment about uh, where's this all going to end and do we want to be involved in a, in a quagmire? That's that's the West's argument at the moment. <laughs> yep. I spoke to I spoke to a woman, Australian, Australian, but who's living in Austria. Uh, and and uh, she, she lived there now. She was back for holidays uh, over the Christmas period. Now, Austria is not a NATO-aligned country. I'm not sure if you knew that. Um, uh, uh, having uh, having had a fair bit to do with the last two world wars, they've decided to sit sit this one out um, uh, um, and not not join NATO. Of course, uh, um, uh, Austria was the birthplace of Hitler and uh, the Austria Austria Hungarian Empire. Austrian Hungarian Empire basically kicked off uh, 
kicked off World War One. Um, <clears throat> and she was saying, "Look, I." She started, she started moaning about refugees, which I thought it's a bit much. You're a blow-in. Um, but, uh, and then she also said, oh, look, why should we be involved in this? Why should we be involved in this supporting them? And them was Ukraine. Interesting sort of view. Well, I don't think she'd be the only person to hold that. No, I know, I know she's not. That's what I'm saying. It's representative of probably, you know, rural Austria, if nothing else. Mm. So what's the answer? I think the answer is, you know. So so so, so look who is lined up um, on the side of Ukraine up there: the the Baltic states um, uh, and Poland. Um, but I don't think Hungary is um, so much, and the Austrians are not. Well, the Austrians. I mean, this has got to be a push too, right? I mean, we've seen these countries come into NATO, or about to. We've got uh, Sweden. We've got uh, Finland. Um, uh, and uh, and the Turks kicking up a bit of a fuss about it, <clears throat> but how does a country like Austria morally stand outside NATO and not contribute towards it? Oh, well, I think countries are entitled to make their own choice about that. I don't have a particular view about it. You don't have a particular view on the fact that a country with a pretty lethal history in the twentieth century hmm. now sits outside NATO and relies on those bullocks to create all of its national security, the NATO mm. bullocks, you know, the, 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 the treaty that's in place there. So it can spend next to zero on its military. And Well, well, well to be fair, most of the members of NATO um, uh, have been doing that for 50 years and relying on the Americans. Well, they're not paying anything, Jack. The Austrians are not doing anything. They haven't contributed. And if we look at con- contributions from NATO countries now, they're all basically hitting their, their treaty levels um, now. And that was one of the things that Trump brought up, uh, and those things were largely addressed. Um, but what I'm saying well, Trump is... Trump was about the sixth president to bring that up. He just brought it up more rudely. Of course, Switzerland's the same as Austria, and now Switzerland, Switzerland has been traditionally um, uh, the, uh, the the um, uh, a non-aligned country in Europe, one of the few. And maybe that's I think kind that of means they bank everybody. Well, the banking system's not what it used to be, Jack, in terms of secrecy. Um, um, but uh, I honestly think, you know, a country like Austria, who <laughs> really reshaped Europe substantially in the 20th century through war, uh, now sitting back going, well, we don't have to worry about war anymore because there's NATO that we're not part of, that we're going to blithely sit around and not commit to, and they'll take care of our national security. We have no threats because of NATO, but we won't contribute towards it. I think yeah, well, they're entitled to make their choice and, and the consequences will fall uh, where they will. You're being soft on them, mate. You're being soft on Austria again. Not the first time. Mm. Uh, Italy and the EU, how are they going, Jack? Are they going to jump out with uh, with uh, Giorgia Maloney now as uh, uh, PM? Are they going to pull a pin on, on the EU? I think we got Giorgia Maloney pretty right. We weren't as outraged as her becoming Prime Minister as a lot of people. And she's now going to an EU meeting next week and she'll be the most popular Prime Minister around the table. Her approval rating is 52% and no other leader of Europe's anywhere near that. I mean, that's, I know, that doesn't speak 
uh, doesn't speak uh, volumes about uh, uh, confidence in political systems around Europe, uh, does it, when, uh, when, the, when the most popular one's sitting at just above 50. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But she's she's done done a really quite good job, and you know, and, 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 and I think a lot of the media commentators got her exactly wrong. Yeah, no, look, that's right. I mean, look, you know, you know what the media's like, Jack. They love that feartainment, and so uh, when someone's uh, elected who uh, is a little bit right of centre, um, uh, there are all sorts of uh, all sorts of uh, parallels drawn with Mussolini and what have you. Um, uh, uh, She's, there's no real talk about the EU, um, uh, le- well, Italy leaving the EU, is there? I mean, she's actually been a pretty strong supporter of it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, she's a critic of some aspects of EU policy, um, but she's not talking about leaving the EU, no. All right. Uh, and, and Italy's growth, I think it's um, uh, uh, GDP growth, is, it, you know, it's, it's around that sort of French level of under 1%. They're not going too badly, but they're not really uh, on fire at the moment. Uh, and uh, and like most of Europe, they've had to deal with uh, with a real sort of surge in energy prices. Uh, as with the UK, which is becoming almost basket case basket case like economically. Um, <clears throat> how do we how do we talk, how do we approach Brexit? How do we take Brexit out of that? Out of that economic, out of the economic data that we're getting from the UK, and say, well, this is this we can attribute this much to, to Brexit. Oh, I don't think you can. What do you mean you can? You can't. I mean, I mean, turning your back on <laughs> the largest trading group in the world that is literally forty kilometres away, and there's no economic consequences you can measure. I find that hard to believe. No, I don't think you can. I think it's um, if it hadn't had, had it had we not had the pandemic, you might have been able to. But I, don't, I think it's very difficult to to work out what lands where. There is some good news in the UK in amongst uh, some fairly tawdry sort of results, but uh, um, well, I thought it was good news. Uh, the uh, consumption of uh, fake meat has dropped considerably. That's, that's not what you call it, Jack. It. That's that's it's called plant based. You don't have fake meat. Good lord! Yeah, it's fake meat. How how yeah. how, un, how 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 unwoke of you? Um, yeah. Fake meat, yeah, and it's it's just it's going, an abomination. It's running off the shelves, Jack. Well, it's not. <laughs> it's it, well, <laughs> it's not not by hoof, um, but uh, but sales are increasing, Jack, in in the UK. Oh no, it's fell. Oh, it's fallen. I, I'm, yeah, look, I'm it's looking fallen. at the wrong That's set why of data it's here. They've fallen by six percent. Well, the Brits were never going to come at it. Were they? Like fish and chips and roast beef. That's pretty much their standards. Have you ever tried? Um, you ever tried? I, I saw it in the supermarket. I'm not going to buy it, but. Uh, they have, you know, plant-based pies, Jack. You'd be in a couple of those. Yeah, well, you? I don't think they should be able to, to to call it meat, and I don't think they should be able to call uh, nut milks milk. Um, uh, you know, uh, and besides, if you if if you want to know what's the best thing to eat, look at the ingredients. If you look at um, a, uh, a a pound of butter, the ingredients will say uh, cow's milk and salt. Um, if you look at margarine or these plant-based meats, they've got a list of Poisons about this long and <laughs> no, they're not poisons. You'll get us in trouble with the gigantic food corporation who control all of our lives. The, um, the, 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 
the margarine requires a colour additive to make it a more pleasing, uh, <laughs> pleasing uh, colour of yellow rather than the clear it would normally be. If you remember back to your childhood, you couldn't they couldn't put the yellow in it, so it looked like a, pale, a very pale white yeah. um, product. Yeah. Um, uh, and then and that was on, no, that no, was no. insisted upon by the dairy farmers of Australia. So, um, uh, look, I, I spoke to one guy who had, to be fair, a fairly extraordinary diet of not just uh, uh, meat but also large amounts of alcohol and uh, one or two illicit substances along the way. In fact, he used to give it a real nudge. And he's going to a plant-based diet. He swore off booze and all that sort of stuff. And I've got to say, he looks a picture compared to what he looked like 10 years ago. And he says he's never felt better in his life. Well, so, I, I can understand why people are vegetarian. But if you want to be a vegetarian, eat vegetarian food. Don't eat something that's a fake burger. Yeah, I don't know, Jack. I reckon it's going to have to go that way. Um, um, uh, you know, I mean, the, the current line from the uh, the nut job conspiracies is that we'll all be forced to eat crickets, that uh, farming will be dismantled and uh, <laughs> we'll, we'll go out for a, a few beers and a handful of grasshoppers. Yeah, I'm looking forward to that. <laughs> I don't like my food that crunchy. And Bert Bacharach has passed away, one of the great composers of the 20th century, Jack. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, a, a list of um, uh, of great hits as long as you're on. I think he almost got the trifecta, which is, and he may well have actually. Listers may want to pick us up and, and pick me up and correct that. But Oscar, a winner, um, a Tony winner, and a Grammy winner. I think he might be one of those few. Uh, triple trifectas, Bert Bucker, um, but I may be and, missing and a tone. successful racehorse hunter as well. Was he really? Yep. All right. Okay. Well, we're winding up and we're moving on to sport. <laughs> what, what do you say about the result in Nagpur, the the first test, Australia v India? Um, what is that? Just burn the tape, makes make the selection changes, and uh, move on. Oh, yeah, you've got to move on. I actually thought Tubby Taylor got this right in a piece in the City Morning Herald before the test. He says, don't worry about the um, uh, about the pitch or anything like that. If you're going to win in India, you've just got to take a positive attitude all the time and go out and play what's in front of you. They were just and, obsessed and, and, and about it. That, that was the best advice, and I think the team didn't take it before the game. Oh, this is apparently just been planned for years, and, um, uh, and, and it gets back to this... Uh, heavily statistical-based uh, analysis around left-handers and right-handers on wearing wickets. Mm. So there's firstly, there was the obsession with the wicket, which turned out mm. to play pretty well. Some One one side could make 400 on it. It's, it's, not, it's not a bad track. It's not, not a, a bad, bad track if someone makes track. 400. Let's I be think, fair. I think one of the big concerns is that Nathan Lyon took, I think, one wicket for the game. For the Well, well they only took the 10. Um, uh, Todd Murphy had an excellent, uh, debut, and he's the one one positive they can really take from that. But the selection of Matt Renshaw, who's a left-hander, uh, over over uh, Travis Head, who's also a left-hander, and bowls left-arm spin, and pretty good at it too. I mean, Matt Renshaw can bowl some little offies, and he did, I think, bowl one over and got smashed. But uh, pretty handy bowler. I, I, I just, I cannot begin to understand that. 
It doesn't fall well, into that left-right category. I think you and I discussed this on, just the, on the WhatsApp that I thought Hedge should have been in one because he's in, in batting in great form, and and his his off spin is a bit Michael Clark like, and Michael Clark. Took a couple of sixes in India, I think. Um, well, he's, every taken, he's, taken, he's taken wickets, you know. He's taken Test wickets and bowls pretty well. Yeah, he's the, he, he would actually go really well there. He'd be be potentially our RJ Jadija, who, who who really was fantastic. And talk about talk about great heads of hair, Jack. He should be yeah, pres- he should be president of the yeah, world yeah. Uh, with that yeah. set of hair. RJ Jadija, I maintain, has got the greatest head of hair of any man on earth. Um, yeah, look, an absolute shocker. Um, some terrible mistakes made with selection there. You know that Head will come in. Uh, they've uh, brought over... Um, and they just perform badly. Let's face yeah. it. At yeah, one I reckon stage, they just had a bad game too. Yeah, at uh, one stage Drop I catches. think I, I, I WhatsApped you that the captain was going at six and over. Um, and, oh, his first uh, spell was I, terrible. That's never happened before. His first spell was terrible. He was just, you know, he just got his lines wrong and he was bowling down leg a bit to Rohit Sharma, who is, let's be honest, I don't thought he should have been man of the match, Sharma. He's such a good player um, and has been for a very, very long time. He, he uh, took his captaincy very seriously, got out and made that 100. I thought that was enough to win him the man of the match. I think it uh, went to um, um, the Ospinner. Um, Jadaya. Now, Jadeja did, did win it, did he? Oh, well, he started shooting because he got 80 and, and then he got, yeah. I think, six for in the first dip. Um, and, um, yeah, no, great hair as well, as I say. I should have won it for the hair alone. But, uh, yeah, I think it's one of those things. You burn the tape, you learn from your mistakes, you, you, you stop obsessing about wickets and what they're going to be like, get out there, play the ball, all this stuff, is, you know, all this stuff they, they're routinely told about, living in the present and all this sort of stuff, you know, play the ball on its merits, all that sort of stuff. Having said that, it's going to be really hard to come back because they were smashed, Jack. Yep. Absolutely. Uh, what about Dave Warner? Uh, well, I'll give him the three tests. Three more. Mm. And um, I, I, if it ends badly, I can't see him going to England. Yeah, same. And, and a big test match in uh, in New Zealand coming up, New Zealand and England. Yes. So when do they kick that off? It, 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 oh, I think it starts on Thursday, and the the next test in India is on the fr- starts on the Friday. Mm. And of course, the Australian women's team are playing in South Africa in the women's T Twenty World Cup. Jack uh, beat had a win against New Zealand early on. Give them a, give them a belting. Now I I'm going to make a bold statement that the Australian women's cricket team is the best performing team in any sport in the world today. Now, there might be a few out there who've got a better win ratio, but I, I doubt it. I reckon they're the best team of any sport in the world and have been for the last five years. I think their their, their most recent coach got picked up by the um, by e- England to coach their, um, uh, their white ball cricket, didn't they? Well, it's just astonishing their win rate. It really is astonishing, and uh, and as I say, the, the the players that are playing there for them, with all they've all become household names just because they are so good and they win consistently. Um, um, uh, their record, you could put it up against any high performing uh, uh, sports team in any sport in the world, and I reckon you'd come away with an analysis that put them on the top. That's my view. Um, in uh, in the uh, NBA, Jack, uh, LeBron. 
LeBron James beat the long-standing record for the highest became to become the highest point scorer ever. It's a record held by Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, who started life as Lou Elsendor. Um, and um, the thing that struck me about this, I saw all the photos and the television coverage, and if you look at it. Um, there were just two people in the crowd who weren't taking a photo of the event of the moment on their cell phones. And I just think that's very, very odd. Oh, I mean, you're there. It's your a historic age, moment. You should just be enjoying the moment. There's press photographers all up. Someone's going to take a great photo. Your photo will be lousy um, uh, and, <laughs> uh, and you won't actually see the moment properly. True enough, I suppose. But it does sound like an old white man view of the world, though, Jack. Uh, everyone's got the phones and they'll be uh, clicking away and saying, look, and putting it on their Instagram accounts, putting it on their Twitter and and uh, and TikTok and what have you and saying, and getting those likes because that's what it's all about. They've got to get those likes. Yeah. Well, uh, someone asked Jerry, Jerry Seinfeld, well, was it okay to film the, his concert um, uh, on their um, uh laptop their tablet thing and and Jerry said yeah sure go right ahead um, you'll have a lousy time you'll you, you won't see the concert properly uh, and the, and the film will be rubbish um, but if you want to pay your money just go ahead and do it yeah. mate of mine mate of mine uh, interviewed Jerry Seinfeld and, and part of that process was at the end that he'd do a little bit of a station promo and uh, and, and Seinfeld got out, got out of his chair and and um, and the guy who was uh, producing or directing Said, oh, I'm sorry, uh, Mr. Seinfeld. Uh, we'd just like you to do a, do, do like you to do a station promo for us. He goes, well, once I get out of the chair, that's it. And <laughs> he actually did get talked around with, but he did continue to say, look, really, the rules are: I get out of the chair, that's it. I'm finished. Um, uh, so yes, well, when you've got Seinfeld money, you can do what you like. Um, now, Jack. North Korea, it's, it's a wonderful place, isn't it? It's a, it's a place that keeps us uh, endless, um, endless entertainment. Uh, and uh, and the big boss there, Kim Jong-un, has, has brought his daughter to, uh, to a military event. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I don't know whether you saw this, but um, they were in some cavernous big hall, um, uh, all sitting around, uh, probably eating bark. Um, and um, uh, and he got a fabulous round of applause, uh, uh, the president, when he walked in. You know, and uh, it must be good for the ego. Do yeah. hard good yeah. just to well, watch it. You know, there, there must be times when he when he when, you know when he when he must actually sort of pine for a day when he could walk into a room without a round of applause. But um, yeah. but there they no, are. No all one wants to be the, the first person there. to stop she's, clapping. I can tell you. She's you not know, as quite as chubby as the old man. Um, but uh, you never know. She, she might be on the burgers because uh, he does love a burger, Kim Jong-un. And then the generals are behind him. Uh, <laughs> look, I mean, talk about, uh, talk about tunics just bursting with medals. Yeah, 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 yeah. They're yeah, well, yeah. I don't know. Uh, yes. just, just to finish off with, mate, there's more news on Prince Andrew. Oh, good Lord, what's he done? On now? the Duke of York. What's he done? Uh, he's very good friends are saying this, what's a few more months if the evidence is unsealed this year and the story turns on its head? There is very much a feeling among, among those of us who resolutely support the Duke that it is only a half-written story. But wait, it gets better. 
Others suspect Andrew, who was recently branded one of the most unpopular royals, may pen a memoir to try and clear his name. That would be that would that would be going straight to the bargain bins, wouldn't it? Um, yeah, yeah. You know, yeah, it's, it's yeah. a bit like I've always talked about uh, being a published author. One of those great, you know, you've you've fated for a while. You go on the book tour. It's not quite as quite as. Uh, as large as it used to be, but uh, the good old days of a, of a book launch, fantastic limos, all that sort of stuff, five-star hotels, and uh, and you get told you're a terrific human being a lot, and and then uh, about a, about six months later, you might wander past a, a bookshop, and <laughs> as I did, and see at the at the front of the shop there the bins are, and <laughs> there's your book. There was my book anyway, and I picked it up, and I oh, they've taken the um, anti-theft tags off. So, um, so they're basically <laughs> just saying you come take these away. Just, just take them, take them. We'll, we'll, yeah. we, 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 we can get them delivered away from if you if yeah. you want somebody. Yeah, you grab a grab yeah. a pile of them. Uh, so yeah, that's well, I, I, I do think that's you know, Prince Andrew might be suffering from Jane Carroll uh, levels of uh, lack of self awareness. Oh, he's, he's looking like he's looking like going the full Jack Elliott as well, mate. Um, he does, doesn't he? Yep, <laughs> yeah. Looks like he's going the full Jack Elliott. But look, that's going to wrap us up for the day. We've got a couple of things that we want to talk about next week uh, that we didn't get to, including the gender of God, which I think is a completely uh, a ridiculous sort of thing. Anyway, we all. Kind of no, my vision of God is anyway looks like Albert Steptoe, and uh, and he's a bit of a crazy old man, and he gets a lot of things wrong. Um, that's my view of it. But um, but we'll discuss all of that deep philosophical stuff next week. Um, thank you, Jack, for coming along uh, as usual uh, and uh, giving us your insight on all of these uh, incredibly uh, incredibly important matters. Cheers, mate. And thank you to our listeners, and uh, we just want to remind you as we wrap uh, to drop us a line. We do get uh, quite a lot of uh, feedback, and I do enjoy it. Uh, you can drop me a line on Jack the Insider on Twitter. I'm still hanging in there despite Elon Musk's many crimes. Uh, and uh, you can drop me a drop me a DM, and they're always open. Uh, or you can uh, you can uh, get hold of Jack on his Substack. Give us a give us a hook there, Jack. Oh, just just look for Hong Kong Jack on Substack. You will find me. Hong Kong Jack on Substack, and you can drop him abusive letters uh, until the cows come home. And thank you uh, once again for hanging in with us, and uh, we look forward to being back with you next week. See you guys. Thanks. Cheers. <laughs>